So I feel like as we step back into our power, podcasts are integral in us learning and reconnecting with each other, in us preserving our culture and our history and teaching ourselves about that history that was fragmented and broken intentionally. And then earning, just having that financial freedom yes. from podcasts. Africa X. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series and I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. And today we are joined by a phenomenal woman, someone I met through podcasting here in Nairobi, Kenya, but someone who is really a beacon of sunshine and always a pleasure to converse with. She's a businesswoman, award-winning podcaster, one of OK Africa's 100 Extraordinary African Women, and also one of BBC's 100 Inspirational and Innovative Women in the World. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a woman with a purpose and who is also on a mission to impact and empower women globally. I am talking about none other than Miss Adele Anyango. Adele, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Thank you, first and foremost, for that amazing intro. <laughs> like, it's just boosted my confidence. A big, big hello to the entire family, everybody who's listening. It's such an honor to be on this platform to have impactful conversations with you, Kevin. I'm honored to have you here as well. Adele, I have so many questions for you, so many questions to ask yeah. you. And I guess the first thing that I want to know, that we want to know, the Create Your Life series family, is about your origin story. Can you share with us where's Adele from? How does she make it to this stage in her life? Because you've been moving and shaking, you know, in different countries. We see you in France, Ethiopia, <laughs> you know what I mean, at the African Union. Like, yeah. you are that lady. Yeah. So tell us, how do we get here? First, I am Kenyan. I'm from a tribe in Kenya called the Luo. So while I'm here in Nairobi with you, my home, 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 mm -hmm. where my grandma is and my roots are in a place called Ugenya, which is an hour away from Kisumu City. We're not that close to where Obama is from, but we like to say we're distant cousins. <laughs> But I was born and brought up in Nairobi in a family of three girls. I'm the last born and the creative one. My two older sisters were into math and actual science. I never passed math, <laughs> not for lack of trying. I actually did try. I never yeah. gave up, but it just gave up on me. And I've always just been more inclined to storytelling, journalism. When I was younger, I'd read the papers for the entire family like I was a news anchor. And my mom would make everybody sit and watch us. I would rather wow. watch me. Looking back, I can connect the dots that mm -hmm. media was going to be something I would be involved in. And so my late mom was one of those people who met you where you are. So I loved poetry. So me and her would read poetry together. I was interested in media and public relations. She made sure that I went and did an internship when I was 16, 17. It was like child labor. But <laughs> before going into uni to just really try and see if that's what I really wanted to study. Mm -hmm. And so she was very intentional. So from a very young age, you know how people would always ask this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right, and kids right. hate that question. But I would always answer the same thing. I knew it was media. I knew it was journalism because of the intentionality of the 
family and the environment I grew up in. So I have to ask this question because I'm always curious. You're the last born, mm-hmm. but are you the tallest? You're a very tall woman, yes. but are you the tallest? I'm so curious. <laughs> so imagine I am and my elder sister and Marie's the shortest. So yeah, but the men in my family are very tall. So I'm like one with the gents and the okay. women, not so much. <laughs> okay. And just for those who can't visually see you at the moment, how yeah. tall are you exactly? I'm a 5'9". Okay. Yes, pretty okay. tall. And today I have heels. So Yes. <laughs> Today, I'm six feet. Today, she is taller than me. Exactly. Love it. Love to see it. Because it's always funny. I'm the second born. Okay. I'm taller than everybody. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you always get those variables in between. So, I always think that that's funny. And it's something I just feel like has to be asked. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm the eldest. My eldest is actually, like, really short. (laughs) And so, they're like, no, but you must be the last born. (laughs) It's hilarious. So, I want to kind of jump right in. Adele, you've been making waves and you are a pioneer in podcasting here. You have a podcast called Legally Clueless. Can you tell our audience about what Legally Clueless is and what the pillars are? Because you've done tours, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? You're doing workshops in different places and things like that. Please tell us more about Legally Clueless and the pillars. So Legally Clueless, first and foremost, has nothing to do with the law or anything. I get that question quite a bit. It's just that when I was quitting my previous job, I was a radio presenter Mm -hmm. and I was quitting primetime radios. I was hosting a breakfast show Mm -hmm. on the top English-speaking station in Kenya, Mm -hmm. well, the urban one, and I just felt like maybe I've lost my mind (laughs) because you're quitting this thing to do podcasting that nobody really understood. Right. And so I felt like I just didn't know what I was doing Mm -hmm. and I was just putting one foot in front of the other. And when we started, so the first episode is eight minutes long and it's just a shaky voice. Please don't go listen to it now. Like, I'm so embarrassed by it. But I was just sharing about my fears and my hopes in life and just wanting to live a full life and knowing that my job wasn't giving me that Mm. and trusting that if I took the leap, the universe would meet me halfway. By episode seven, I realized I don't have a monopoly on the human experience and the African experience. Mm -hmm. So then I just informally started bringing on friends, et cetera, et cetera. And it developed into a feature called 100 African Stories. And then the mission or the ethos of Legally Clueless was birthed, which is to amplify African stories. Mm-hmm. And I called the feature 100 African stories because I thought it would take me like 10 years to record 100 Africans. Right. Uh-huh. And then it didn't. <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh, it's hundreds of Africans. <laughs> That's what I mean. We kept going weekly podcasts, recording. So in terms of the audio, by the time we were hitting 100 episodes of mm-hmm. the audio episodes, we had been to recorded stories in Addis, in the States, in New York, Kenyans in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. We had been to Egypt, Senegal, Ghana. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun for me coming from a traditional world to see that, ah, this is how dynamic media can be. And right, it was right. interesting to capture those stories. And for the 100th episode, we had a video show and we built sets for some of the storytellers who'd been on in the past stories and past episodes. And the sets were like different funky colors, although our main color is yellow. And it was the first time I was jumping into this video world. Yeah. And obviously as a business, I was like, oh, this has taken a lot of our money. But anyway, it's the 100th episode. You get lost in that. And once we did that, it was so fulfilling to do that episode that then we birthed the video series. Right. And it's a seasonal show, which again has a different African coming on set 
sharing stories of their lived experiences. So the stories that we've had on audio and video have ranged from like business to relationships to Mm -hmm. grief, just across the board, because everybody has a story. And if you look at Africans, storytelling and really having that oral connection Mm -hmm. has been part of our culture for eons, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's to have an urban twist to it. And it's a way for us to learn about each other, not only as Kenyans, but across the continent and for others to learn about us as well. And then we took the podcast on tour in the middle of the pandemic in August. That was really fun. So we started with four counties in Kenya Mm -hmm. and then we'd go to those counties, record stories by Africans, but also historical aspects about those spaces. Because I realized in telling the African stories, you also have to tell the stories of the places in Africa, you know, and why is it named this and what can you do here, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really fun. And then immediately we finished the Kenya tour. We then did the Paris tour, which was really fun. And it was interesting to understand the Africans who are living in Paris, because that's so different from us in Kenya, because we were colonized by the British. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have a strong attachment to France or Francophone African countries. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see and hear just some of the similarities we have in post-colonial Africa. Mm -hmm. Going into Paris and seeing like the Congolese community having like roasted maize which is something we have here. I always was doing cut rules because I really love it. I was like, mm-hmm. I have to have some now. <laughs> it's just so awesome. And we went to Zimbabwe, which again, so much has been told about Zimbabwe from a Western lens. But when we went there, it's so different. Mm-hmm. It's such a powerful country. Do they have economical issues? Yes, but which country doesn't? Right. That episode and that trip taught me how important the work we're doing is mm-hmm. because we have to tell our stories from our own lens. Otherwise, we start to judge other African countries mm-hmm. on a false narrative, exactly. you know? So yeah, so we have the content side is the tour series, the video series and the audio episodes. And we've just launched the workshop. So we want to upskill Africans, especially mm-hmm. in the creative economy. Mm -hmm. And our events are now centered more on wellness. So we have a yoga event coming up, which will be fun, like taking care of your mental, where trauma sits physically in your body. How can we process that? And it's just to make sure that, yes, while we're amplifying the stories, every African who interacts with Legally Clueless Mm -hmm. leaves as a fuller version of themselves. I want to give the listeners context because you said August and that was August of 2021 during the pandemic that you went out and did the yeah. tour, right? Okay. Curfew. Oh man, curfew. <laughs> yo. I remember curfew. I think when I first got here, I want to say the curfew was seven or seven, something like that. Yeah. And then it turned to 10. And then if you were somewhere, you had to stay there until 4 a.m. Exactly. So it was an interesting time. Exactly. And I'm not going to lie. Bet your life, fam. I was definitely in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, when I first got here, I was in the streets. You know, I was hanging out. You know, it was just it was a thing, you know. During the curfew, hey, props to you, Kevin. Nah, I mean, you know, just sometimes you end up at your friend's house and you kind of like, all right. And then we found ways around traveling, you know what I mean? With, yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. Nairobi is interesting. There are many stories. Right. Right. <laughs> so Nairobi, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you got to have that loving relationship for it. So I got to ask, you went from being on radio, primetime radio. What was the straw that made you say, hey, I got to quit this? Mm. And then also, do you feel like having a background in radio, how do you feel like that has helped you as a podcaster? Let me start with the first question. And man, I feel like 
I was so broken by the time I was leaving traditional radio. I actually even thought that I hated and I was done with any forms of media. Uh-huh. I was quitting to go into my NGO work. I was mm-hmm. done with media. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go and change the world on this side. You crazy people. <laughs> Stay very far away from me. Yeah. So just for context, I got into radio when I was about 20. And I was working at a station called 1FM that only played African music, which mm-hmm. was really great. Because I'd done my high school in Botswana. I forgot to say that at the beginning. So I'd done my high school in Botswana and said I'd really immersed myself into like Southern African music. And I loved Kenyan music, of course, because I was so far away from home. And we had like really amazing music coming out at the time. So to work at a station that only played African music was a dream because it was the music I was listening to anyway. So at 20 years old, I'm working around music and celebrities and getting paid. It was fun. I wasn't thinking long term or whatever. And three years in, then I get poached to Kiss FM and I'm doing the mid-morning show, which was still good because I didn't have a co-host. I was all by myself, not too much noise or interference. I could do quite a bit for myself on the show, you know, (laughs) without interference or being told, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. There's a very rigid way traditional radio here is carried out. If you are creatively inclined, it can be very frustrating. So everything was going great. And so I moved to the breakfast show. And first I was the only woman on my team, like Mm -hmm. from my co-host to my CEO, Mm -hmm. only woman. So I kept having to like remind the room that we serve primarily a female audience and we can't do this. You can't do that. You mm-hmm. can't. There was a lot of pressure to speak about issues that I wasn't interested in. So like pop culture, who's dating who, what socialite has done what. Because now I was getting closer to 30. I wasn't that 20 year old, right, right? Right, right? And I was just like, yes, we entertaining, but can we do something that we're proud of or something that really matters? Mm-hmm. And Initially, I went through a period of thinking it's me because I'd look at other presenters and I'm like, they're okay. They come to work, they get their paycheck. There's a glamour about the job and they're okay with it. But I just was like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. And so it took me three years. Towards the end, it was so bad. And there was also an element of toxic management. And mm-hmm. I can say that because I've openly talked about it as much as I'm still very good friends with my CEO. Mm-hmm. But there are managers who are very toxic. And so you'll face things as a woman in the media here. When I got married, I was told, oh, don't have a child because what are we going to do about keeping you relevant while you're away? Wow. I had a colleague who, when she gave birth to her firstborn, that was what the boss told her the morning she gave birth in hospital. And he was like, oh, now I have to figure out how to keep you relevant for the next three months. And I was being asked like, oh, you know, there are other female radio presenters who like dance in studio and post that stuff on social media. And I was just like, if you wanted to hire a dancer, I mean, they are there. (laughs) So by the time it was the end, my alarm would go off. Sometimes I'd even throw up. Oh, wow. So it was... Taking a physical toll, huh? Yeah. So it had gotten to a point where I was like, okay, I may not have the next tech figured out, but to save myself in this moment, I need to get out. And it's funny that immediately I handed in that resignation, which is in December 27th, 2018. Mm -hmm. In January, remember I told you I was moving to the NGO world. I was done. I was like, hey, media almost kills me. I'm done. But by January, I had figured out podcasting. Yeah. So when you're in a toxic space, it's hard to think about what your next is going to be. But once you clear that, it could take even a week and you already are clear about what your next is. That's how I left. And was I scared? Absolutely. But I just feel like there's no point where you'll ever be 
free of fear. Mm-hmm. You just kind of don't let the fear win. You do what you can if you need to upskill yourself, if you need to save, if you need to, etc. Mm-hmm. But you will always feel that fear. So just don't let it win. I can't take away what radio did for me because I was there for 10 years. Yeah. Radio knows how to make money. Yeah. I always tell podcasters, if you want to figure out how to make your podcast make you money, mm-hmm. listen to radio and listen to the advertising, yeah. listen to the sponsored content, the stuff that we shy away from. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to the music, listen to like the ads and the presenter mentions, the campaigns. That's how you'll get ideas on how to build revenue streams around your podcast. So that really helped me as well as knowing how to build sustainable content, mm-hmm. knowing how to be an efficient communicator. What do I say last? Because I want the audience to sit with this. Exactly. How do I create a connection? And I'd practice that for 10 years, even without knowing that it was mm-hmm. something I was going to use when I finally quit it. Yeah. Love it. So Create Your Life Family, I think what we're hearing from Adele is, is if you are in a toxic space, get out of it so mm-hmm. that you can clear your mind and move forward. Adele, what you do in these workshops and you really teaching and being an advocate for podcasting, becoming a sustainable industry here what do you think are like the three most important tips for new podcasters or those looking to get into podcasting in order to be able to create a sustainable brand or a sustainable business around their pod? Do you have like three quick tips? I think the first one is sustainable content, because even before you start talking about money, how can we talk money when you will drop off at episode five or episode seven because you didn't think out how sustainable can your content be? And sometimes, you know, it's exciting to launch a podcast like the right. first episode, you know, all the content, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Right. But like you have to kind of flesh it out and think about work backwards a year mm-hmm. and ask yourself, like, are you genuinely interested in it? Can you sustainably put this out at a frequency of a week mm-hmm. or every month or every second month, whatever your frequency is, mm-hmm. and then work backwards a year because that will inform whether it's just a hype topic that will give you maybe one episode and maybe there's a bigger umbrella theme that you could base your podcast around. So building sustainable content. Mm-hmm. I think number two is also to think about your prep. Oh my goodness. Preparation matters. We talked about this the other day. Right. <laughs> the only time I got a warning letter while I was working was the one time I didn't do my prep. Mm, wow. <laughs> That's how important prep is. You can tell. You can tell. <laughs> Even like spontaneity is preps, you know? Yeah. You have to like have a guiding, a direction. And the more you do prep, the more you can even in your head be preparing for your prep. If maybe you're talking about things that you're experiencing in life, mm-hmm. you will start categorizing them the way your prep sheet is laid out. Yeah. If you're paying for studio time, if you prep before your recording, does it, it, makes it, easier. it makes it easier and faster and more efficient. So prep is important. And then the third thing is to just don't be scared of the business side. I think a lot of creatives, we undervalue ourselves. So when we shy away from the business world, we don't engage with it. Yet it's a big pillar of sustainability. Anything you don't understand about business, you can learn online right now. You can attach yourself with somebody who knows, right? Mm -hmm. So don't be scared to get involved in the business side, even if you've never studied business. I've never studied business. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about money is it's not emotional. I feel like now that I'm in business, I'm like, it's a nice thing because there's no emotions. There's no somebody has caught feelings or whatever, because it's literally one plus one equals two. My tour costs a million shillings. Okay, let's talk backwards. 
how are we getting a million shillings? You know what I mean? But you have to engage with a business. You have to see value in yourself and build that value. And you have to prep. I'm all for the prep. You know, I was having a conversation with the influential one, Miss mm-hmm. <laughs> Joris Anyango from Simabox. Yeah. She wrote an article for Barraza Media Labs called, I think it was, Your Podcast is Boring. And mm-hmm. nobody's telling you. Mm-hmm. Please, doors don't kill me. I might have messed up the name, but it was around that premise. But the reason why she said that podcasts are boring is because a lot of times people want to show up and they just want to talk. Oh, yeah. Or they don't prepare and have questions and things like that. And you being on radio, I mean, honestly, I'm almost trying to figure out if we spirit animals, Adele. Yeah. We got a few things in common. We were both on radio. We both were podcasters and we're both authors. We're going to get to your book we're in a second. We're very tall. <laughs> <laughs> and we're tall, yes. And we're black. And we're black. Hey, hey. this Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps rolling. But that preparation aspect of things, it mm-hmm. makes life so much easier. And it also helps you to run a system, mm-hmm. right? And to run something that can sustain. So what you said about sustainable content, sustainable processes and things like that, I'm all all, all, all for it. Yeah. I'm right behind you. Kind of moving forward. In 2019, Legally Clueless was crowned the most popular podcast in Kenya. And in 2021, as one of Spotify's most listened to podcasts on the platform. Can you talk to us a little bit about the background work that went into making that a reality for you? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like accolades are cool. And most of the time when people are looking at an Adele, looking at a Danisetta, Looking at mm-hmm. certain figures, they're looking at the finished product. Yeah. Right? They're not looking at the fact that you was in the basement or on the radio for two yeah. years, right? But yeah. I like to say in the basement, you know what I mean? Which Grinding. Kind of away. Yeah. Grinding. So can you talk to us a little bit about what it is that helped you to get to that level? Even yeah. like three to five points, but I really think that our listeners need to understand that. Right now I'm going through a season where I'm learning to, when my therapist always tells me like, sit in your wins a bit longer like you keep moving from them but your failures you'll spend a whole decade just rolling in your failures even the accolades I go back there sometimes to just like get fuel and say okay fine now let's keep going you are on the right track but I remember the first one it was a tie between myself and Joel Osteen's podcast and if you know anything about Kenya it's like super religious Yeah, yeah. and so I was like wow if I'm on the same level with like someone preaching Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm doing something right Right. And when that accolade came, I didn't even know there's a way to like figure out yeah, who are these people listening? Where are they? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think what helped me, number one is consistency. Mm-hmm. And I borrow from radio in that you will never turn on a radio station and find white noise when it's meant to be a breakfast show. Yeah. There will always be a breakfast show. We worked holidays. We worked through terrorist attacks. We were constantly constantly working Mm. and sometimes we hated it but looking back I get it I get it that's how you build consistency and once you build consistency you're building an audience and you're building community Mm-hmm. What that does in the podcasting world, it means that people know if Mondays they listen to Legally Clueless when they get up and they're in their matatu going to work, I'm now part of their routine and yeah. I can't break that, right? right or right. they listen in the gym or whatever. So you now become part of their routine, which is where you want to be. And you can't do that if one Monday you're there, then the next Monday you're not. And the other Monday is like <laughs> quarter of an episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Consistency is so important. I think you also need to learn a skill related to the work that you do. Mm. Nowadays, there's tutorials online. You can learn if it's just basic production for audio. You can't always afford to pay someone that might affect your consistency, especially when the money is not coming in. So that even when you're paying someone, like right now, 
mm-hmm. for commercial content i have my previous radio producer is my commercial producer mm-hmm. at legally clueless but i know everything she does so i know even the times if she does a shoddy job i'm like you didn't do this one right but if you don't even know mm-hmm. certain things about this business you're building i mean what are you really doing so it's important to learn a skill related to the work that you're doing I love that. And you also have to focus on the end goal. And for that, it's four things that are very important. And I'm so thankful I did this for Legally Clueless is to figure out your brand heart. And so that's made up of your vision, your mission, your values and your purpose. Your vision is your ideal world. What are you trying to create in that ideal world? And your mission is what you're going to do repeatedly every single day to try and actualize that vision. The purpose is your why. Why do you exist? And your values should be about three to five. Mm-hmm. And it's the things that you stand for. That helps you know which advertisers to work with. Mm. Which ones to say, I would love those zeros, but I'm sorry, we're not aligned. What type of interviewees to have on your show, which employees to have on. It really just guides everything. I'm very fortunate to have done that very early on. So we had things like brand colors, all of those things before we were even registered. (laughs) I think those are some of the things that helped me get to that point. So I'm going to piggyback off of that because a lot of what you're talking about is when you understand your brand, when you understand your mission, you know what it is that you should be, who you should say yes to, who you should say no to. Now, as someone who has been a pioneer for podcast sponsorship here in Kenya, because I remember when I first started talking to you, that was like a big part of your conversation. And you were talking about your road to figuring it out mm-hmm. and really having those conversations and explaining to people what podcasts are yeah. and how it can add value to their brands. What do you feel like are the next steps to making podcasting a true booming industry in Kenya and Africa as a whole? I know that's a big question, but I'm curious. I think first and foremost, we're in such a good position. When you're down in the trenches, mm-hmm. sometimes we forget to come up for air and look back and say, okay, we've actually come a really long way. Right. So let me explain. The very beginning, mm-hmm. because of the work that I was doing, the commercial revenue that first would come in is people wanting to work with me. Yeah. And when they would want to work with me, I would introduce them to the podcast. Right. Initially added value and then slowly showing them the back end and really showing them that you think you want me, but honestly, what you really want is a podcast. You'll get more value there. And then that grew until people now would call mm-hmm. wanting the podcast and not me, which is great because I'm an employee of the podcast. So I'm like, yes, please help pay my salary. Then we got to a point, I think, when for me is being in a category, agencies do this thing like media buying. Here they look only at traditional media. Mm-hmm. When they talk digital, they're mainly talking about influencers. Mm-hmm. But really, as a digital media company, you want to be in the media buying sector because really that's where the money that matters is. Yes. And we finally have gotten to that point where people are like, hey, let's get a media order for you instead of a contract. And I used to hear those things when I was on traditional radio. So I remember being like, this has been such a strenuous pitch, but this is a win. And it's a win for the industry where you can now look at a podcast on the same level or wavelength as you'd look at putting an advert on Kiss FM or Trace FM, etc. Mm-hmm. So we're now on that same level with those other players. Mm-hmm. It means we have to bring more of our A game which we already can do even just from an insights perspective. So I think we've made a lot of progress but when you do your brand heart, for me, I have a list of my ideal organizations that I want to work with and there are mm-hmm. quite a few that I've already worked with. 
initially it would be like a one episode thing. Now I've gotten them to like, okay, take three episodes. Oh, it takes six months. And we just got like a one year thing. So you're growing to a point where people in the space understand value, but not everyone as yet. I think what we need to do <laughs> is to include them more in our ecosystem. So they need to come for the workshops. Yes. They need to experience podcasts mm-hmm. and not just the corporates, but also the agencies that represent these corporates who actually advise their clients Mm -hmm. on where to put their money. They need to understand podcasts. They need to also consume local podcasts, not just Western podcasts and be like, oh yeah, that's great. And we kind of do this thing where we look down on our own. They need to experience the brilliance of African podcasts, of Kenyan podcasts. Mm -hmm. Because it's local and you're selling a product to people locally, of course the local ones would be better placed to sell that for you. I love it. Thank you for that answer. Because I don't think I told you, but I'm doing a series and you're a part of the series. It's called Africa X Podcasting. Oh. And so it's a mini series yeah. that we're doing inside of Create Your Life where yeah. we're really talking about what's going on in the continent and having mm-hmm. conversations with people like yourself who are doing the work, who are pioneering the work and making this a real industry. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that answer that you just gave. Yay. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the fact that you co-authored and released a book Yes, <laughs> titled Our Broken Silence in March of 2022. Can you tell us what led you to be inspired to write this book? And also, can you tell us a little bit of what this book is about? So remember when I said I was done with media, <laughs> my advocacy work is around sexual violence. Okay. So I am a survivor of sexual violence and I use Sorry. the microphones that constantly been in my face to kind of like say, this is what I went through. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about it. These are the gaps, et cetera, et cetera. And the first time I started an organization, which is just from anger, was in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2009 into 2010, as I was getting into radio and it was called No Means No. And it was really just a Facebook group trying to get different people talking about what do they think solutions look like? Like, how do we end rape at that time? It was specific to rape. And it grew into just, again, using my Facebook page to connect survivors with two therapists at Gotten who are friends to just volunteer and do over-the-phone therapy. Mm. And I don't know what the English term is, but it was very juakali, which here would be like, it was very haphazard. Like There was no structure or efficiency. Mm. I was just like running on emotions only. And with time, that grew into the Adele Onyango initiative. And our mandate, two-pronged, one is advocacy around issues that touch on sexual violence. So how do we report on these stories? How is the justice system failing us? What do we need to do as a country and as a continent? And even just looking at the colonial legacy of violence against women Mm -hmm. and even the pre-colonial legacy of violence against women. And what does that look like? That's one. The second thing is we have a program called Safe 247, which is a free group therapy program for African women and girls who've survived sexual violence. And we did the curriculum in 2020 during the pandemic. We couldn't get any funding, so we crowdfunded and just asked people online, like, please help us. And using those funds, we've been able to take two cohorts or two groups Mm -hmm. through this program. So that's my background. And Mm -hmm. initially, my co-author is a lovely Kenyan lady with a legal background called Lanji Awori. And when we first started talking, I used to have a gender podcast called Perspective. And it would bring men and women together just to do a cultural audit and be like, why are we here where we have one in three women having experienced sexual violence by the time they're 18? 
this is strange. What went wrong and how do we solve it? And so initially she reached out and she was like, maybe I could sponsor. So she runs a legal bureau called Crivit. And she's like, maybe I could sponsor a podcast. And so we started talking and we're doing research into like pre-colonial times. What did that look like? What did women go through? And not just in Kenya, in East Africa. And then we reached a point where we're like, okay, this looks like a season. This is not an episode. We're like, yeah, this is a season. Okay, we kept researching. And then we reached a point and she goes like, I think this is a book. Love it. (laughs) And I was like, oh my goodness, don't you do books like when you're 50 and you've lived a life and you you have so much wisdom. And she's like, no, this is a book. Let's put it together. And essentially what the book is, it's a collection of stories mm-hmm. of survivors of sexual violence from pre-colonial times to present day. And so some of the stories we had to translate and they're not only Kenyan stories. It's mm-hmm. from the greater Eastern African region. It's not only African women, but we have stories from women who are of Indian descent who arrived right before or just in tandem with colonization. And so they experienced a lot of brutality as well in the hands of primarily the British. It really dives into that, shows there's a common thread throughout those times. Mm -hmm. So the chapters are in time capsules. What's the common thread? The common thread is the violence, first and foremost, whether it's happening in an African community context, whether it's happening from colonizers coming in, whether it's happening in the 90s or the 50s. So the violence is like a common thread. And sometimes why I find it so powerful is that I was approaching sexual violence and looking at just the time I've been here and not looking at what was happening before and what could potentially be happening in the future. But when you step back with this book, you're just like, oh, my goodness, it's overwhelming because it's like this problem has been here for far too long. But it also then creates an urgency of like, okay, guys, we're not only talking about the one in three that we know now. This spans back decades. We also have stories from people who are in the medical field, family members of survivors who felt a bit helpless. How could they support the survivor better? And all proceeds from the book go to the Safe 247 program I talked about. Mm -hmm. And Lange's Bureau has set up a fund to help relocate survivors of sexual violence because we saw during the pandemic, we had to like eject survivors from. It was stay at home, which everybody, you know, the company, is like stay safe stay home right but what if home is not safe so to relocate them to safe houses or to other places altogether one of the last things that you just said was about ejecting people from the unsafe homes Mm -hmm. what are some other ways and things that we can do in order to combat yeah this phenomenon this thing that has historically been taking place i think it's Mm two-pronged the first one is We have access to information and you find when you look at online spaces where conversations on sexual violence are being had, the most ignorant commentary are coming from the most exposed to information people, you know? And it's because we don't even go a step further. The way we search if your favorite artist has released a new song or whatever, Mm. why don't we search on issues that are really affecting our core as humans or a huge percentage of humans? Educate yourself. And that really brings me to my second thing, which is we all have to be active citizens. I don't believe in and I do know I've been told I'm an activist, but I call myself an active citizen. Just by you being alive and in this moment, 
you do have a responsibility and a right to speak up on issues that you feel are not going right. So if, for example, like now as Kenyans, we're going towards the election season, we've not heard a lot of candidates talk about women's safety. Are we just not going to ask it? Are we not going to like say, hey, this is missing? And you are within your right to bring that up. We have people who are running who have been accused of rape. You know what I mean? And it's like, why are we not stepping into our responsibility as active citizens and demanding better for ourselves? And it's not only a fight that women need to take. I think even men do. But with men, you have to call out bad behavior from the men in your social circles. It's probably going to be a social cost for men, but for women, it's a life or death cost. So I think it starts with being an active citizen, first and foremost. Thank you for that insight. Yeah. Piggybacking on this milestone that you have of being an author, what does being an author mean to Adele? Are there more books coming? But really, realistically, <laughs> what does it mean to be an author now? Oh, my goodness. First and foremost, I did not know what I was signing up. It's so much work. I thought what was hard was the printing of the book during a pandemic. Mm. That was not hard. Now that the book is here, mm. the hard work is selling it. selling it and making sure it's at the core of important conversations. It's in the rooms that matter. It's in the organizations that matter. And it's countrywide or rather global wise. So like during Unga week, we're working on a roundtable in New York because you have all of these heads of state. Mm. How do we bring them together and talk about, okay, judiciary, Here's how you guys are failing, by the way. You know what I mean? On these issues. So it's a lot more work, mm -hmm. but it's structured. I like that about this. And it's also a drug because I am a poet. And so now everything I write, I'm like, could this be a book? And I have to be like, wait, 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 girl. But it's very fulfilling. And to be able to especially have survivors interact with the book and find solace, mm -hmm. I think for me, that is the most fulfilling thing from this book. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, Create Your Life family, I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. So now I want to switch modes again and I want to kind of get more so into the Adele universe, personal universe mm -hmm. and understand you more as a person. So, for example, like other than consistency, what have been some of the keys to your personal growth as a person? Mm -hmm. Because the Adele in 2018, you know, the 20 year old who was on radio, yeah. you know, was not the one who evolved into the one saying, hey, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Right. And starting Legally Clueless. So what have been those key things, tangible yeah. steps to helping you? Grow? It's a bit cliche. But I'd say my late mom, she used to get a lot of flack from the family because of how she raised us. It was not your quote unquote typical African household, which I think is very toxic. But that's another episode. Yeah. But yes, we did get disciplined. But my mom believed in conversations mm -hmm. and meeting you where you're at. She would take my side over teachers, which not very many parents do. When I bring home my report form, my mom would ask me, so did you do your best? And there would be like some sketchy marks in there. And if I said yes, it would be over. 
you know, and I found that that was even more efficient for me because if I didn't do my best, I'd feel so guilty afterwards. My mom would sometimes ask me, do you feel like going to school today? And there were days that genuinely I'd just be like, no, <laughs> just like, OK, sleep in. And I think she really saw me as a human and as the creative. She honored who I was. So I became comfortable with that person. It was not coming into myself in high school or in university. I was very clear on who I am and very comfortable, like in the artsy side of me and even just things like different hairstyles and different tattoos and piercings and right. stuff. And that's an emblem of a rogue child in most houses. Right, right. But in my house, I didn't see the need for alcohol until like later in uni and stuff. But I had all the markings of right. like, <laughs> this is a rogue child. But my mom understood that this was just artistic expression. Yeah. And so I think that really helped me be comfortable with who I was. Mm -hmm. From a very young age. And so I wasn't the cool kid ever. I was friends with everybody, though. I think I could see everybody as a human. Like you got this electric personality. <laughs> I can see how everybody would want to be your friend. Oh, thanks. The bully, I'd be like, but now why? Like, why are you bullying people? <laughs> like the other person. Like, so I had friends across the board. And I always say I'm very thankful, but because of my upbringing... I never tried to fit in. And I think it's very expensive to try to fit in. Expensive. It costs you yourself, it you know? Does, it does. And so I've been comfortable being weird for so long because yeah. for me, it's not weird. And I've been comfortable creating and trying new things and something works and I move on and whatever. And that upbringing was so important. And also my mom, so she died from breast cancer. Sorry. Thank you so much. And she, at the time she had breast cancer, it was like a death sentence and you wouldn't talk about it. She lost her job because of it. But this woman spoke about it loudly. And when she lost her job, she started together with another lady, the Kenya Breast Health Program. They would help other survivors or patients get access to funds for their treatment, funds for like reconstructive surgery. So in our house, because we lived in Nairobi and at the time Nairobi had the main referral hospital in Kenya. So if you wanted to do your chemo or your radio you had to travel to Nairobi mm -hmm. so we would have like survivors from different parts sleeping over at our house and wow. stuff and so I think seeing her own her story the good the bad the ugly kind of also informed me that there's really not much I'm ashamed of I'm really an open book and you use your experience to build something bigger than you and so that upbringing and my friendship with my mom then catalyzed everything that I've done because I could have just been okay talking mm -hmm. about socialites and whatever. Yeah, no yeah. offense to socialites, you're very important in the entertainment ecosystem. <laughs> very true, very true. But I think growing up in that household, of course I would want more. Of course I would search for impact. And I was okay knowing that everybody else is okay being at this station or working in these mm -hmm. conditions or doing this. And it's okay, I've always been the weird one. So just another opportunity where I'm weird and I can't do this anymore. So I really think that foundation is what set me up for this. I just want to sit in something that you said. You said mm -hmm. not being yourself cost you yourself. Mm -hmm. That is so deep mm -hmm. and for so many reasons. But like even for myself, Kevin, yeah. I've always been a person who's going to march to the beat of their own drum. Everybody know Kevin going to do what Kevin going to do. Yeah. Right. Within reason. But whenever I've done things that were outside of what I would really felt in my heart, it's always ended bad. Right. And you knew it. 
before you did it. You knew it inside. You knew it. And I always say, I think our lives are so noisy Mm -hmm. and we don't realize that we have such strong intuition and not just only women. We always say women have it. I think across the board. Women probably just follow theirs better. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps. eh? (laughs) But I think if you just reduce the noise in your life, you Mm -hmm. will hear the things you really should be doing and the things that you shouldn't. And and what you want. And what you want. Exactly. You need to reduce what's noisy in your life and just get rid of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you've been yourself mm-hmm. and as you've been grinding and been an entrepreneur and all of these things, how did you deal with the negative feedback as you were rising? Because mm-hmm. we all know that it's there. And then like, what did you think when you first saw it, whether it was public or not? And how mm-hmm. did you deal with it? And honestly, were you prepared for it? Because, you know, it's one thing to get some negative feedback or, you know, somebody post something when you're younger. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're established or when you're really now I don't have the safety of a job and people mm-hmm. are hating still and things like that. How did you navigate that experience? I think first radio was like baptism by fire because the boom of social media meant that you kind of have this target on your back and being the radio presenter Mm -hmm. you're the face of the company but you're not the one making all the decisions and people forget that I was working at a hit station that was famous for repeating a lot of songs and I'm like the same way you're bored of it what about me in studio I have to hear this song four times and so you do get a lot of flack initially in my 20s when I was like firecracker and ready with the (laughs) clapbacks I used to engage and just be like whatever Mm -hmm. and I did have some moments a friend of mine recently we were on the phone and he googled me and I was like don't do that don't do that and then he's like hang on you had beef what is this here and it was like an artist who said some horrible things about me and I just lashed back but I was like 23 24 so really in my element of like giving everything my attention that didn't necessarily need it so that was baptism by fire and then you're talking about things around oh women need to be seen as whole beings a lot of men see that as threatening so you are a target you Mm -hmm. are a target so you'll be called toxic feminist i've woken up and just found one particular account has commented on like 50 posts of mine on instagram just like one word which is a really bad s word to describe a woman and like over over and over and over and i don't know this person that one i was perplexed i was not even hurt or like frazzled i was like this is strange Mm. (laughs) what's going on here So I learned very early when it comes to constructive criticism, Mm -hmm. I have people I go to. So even before starting Legally Clueless, because I always had like a business mind somewhere. And I sat down with this friend of mine who's a farmer. He farms Mm -hmm. potatoes. Okay. And I was like, well, if there's a very conventional business here in Kenya, it has to do around farming. And I sat down with him and just like went through like, okay, so what happens? Like, how do you handle failure? What does this look like? Et cetera, et cetera. And I was, it's so funny that it's completely, he probably doesn't even listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. but there's so many things he shared that are relevant to me today. I have different mentors in the industry. So people like Gina Din, she's an amazing Kenyan woman who started her own PR farm where I interned when I was 16. Nice. And so we're friends to date. My previous immediate boss, Caroline Mutoko, also quite a formidable woman in the media space. And so that's where I go for constructive criticism. Mm. I don't leave it open Mm -hmm. for strangers who I'm not too sure what your agenda is or who you are or what is backing this information. That's one. 
But also, you know, as a business, you do have to interact with the comments where it's like people saying, I remember one person saying, Adele, she talks for too long in one of her episodes. She shouldn't have spoken for that long. We wanted to get straight into the story. Mm -hmm. And my first reaction, obviously you get defensive, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, what the hell? Don't listen then. (laughs) But immediately after that, I had to put on my business hat and say, okay, honestly, the way he's phrased it, he's not hating. Maybe go back and listen to that episode. Right. And listen, did you have to speak for that long? Did you say things that mattered? And when I listened, there were things where I was like, yeah, I felt like saying that. And there were parts where I was like, maybe I could have made this tighter or whatever. Yeah. So I've learned where to go for constructive criticism and how to not get defensive first and just identify when somebody is being honest and not trying to shoot you down. I love it. So what I'm hearing from you is, number one, I guess with the guy who did this S word on Instagram, which I actually can't fathom what that word is. Okay, you could also use it on anybody else who's not a woman, but like... Yeah, it's used a lot for women. So what I hear is, is that, you know, sometimes people have their own issues going on. So Mm -hmm. it's important not to internalize that. Exactly. And then the other one is, you know, although you are open to criticism or constructive criticism, you still protect your space, your mental space in order to be able to move forward and Mm -hmm. continue to grow. Exactly. Love that. What are some things that you wish you knew before launching your pod or leaving radio and jumping out as an entrepreneur? Just give us like three. (laughs) It's not as glamorous. That is a fact. There will be many, many sleepless nights. I mean, I slept at 3 a.m. The last two days I've slept at 3 a.m. One was a production shift. The other, I was applying for a grant. Mm -hmm. And it just occurred to me that the deadline was today. Mm -hmm. And I just come home from shooting something else. I mean, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Because I even thought, I was like, maybe I just sleep. And I had to be like, Adele, who's going to do it? So you better just do it now. You can sleep later. And so it's not as glamorous. I thought with podcasting and all of this that I would run away from the visibility that traditional radio had. But it's worse. Mm. (laughs) And I don't think it's normal. I don't think fame is something normal. Yeah. I don't think it's normal. I don't think you can be comfortable with it as a normal human being. Now, 10 years later... In my career is when I'm dealing with like people taking undercover pictures and things like that, which you would think I would have been dealing with when I was on The Breakfast Show. But you could look at it as there's a penetration that podcasts have that maybe traditional media didn't have, but I don't really like that. So if I knew that, I would have probably had somebody else host it and just Mm -hmm. do the back end. And then... The other thing, I mean, I knew this, but I'm just going to share it, Mm -hmm. is you have to keep the humility because you don't know everything. Yeah. And we talk about like, oh, you have 10 years experience in media, but there are some rooms in this digital media space that that doesn't count for anything. (laughs) Like you just still have to be humble enough to learn this new thing or learn that this thing happens differently than you thought it did, you know? And I have to catch myself Whenever I feel like, oh, this person's not making sense. I know and I have to be like, oh, do you really know there is something you could learn mm-hmm. in this space? Yeah, you can never know everything. So you said something, you know, when you talked about traditional media, you're one of the few podcasts, if not the only, that is actually syndicated on traditional radio here in Kenya. Can you talk to us about how you made that happen and what does an upcoming podcaster need to do in order to follow in your footsteps? Because I think that's a really big gem. Yeah, that one is so interesting because how that happened. So Legally Clueless plays on Trace Radio in Kenya. And when it happened, 
that was my third time pitching it. <laughs> so when I handed in my resignation, I got into like a four or five month contract renegotiation with my then CEO, which is why I said we're good friends because we spent enough days together just like <laughs> hashing it out. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I had pitched, even though I didn't have a show, my microphones probably hadn't even landed. And I was like, listen, I hate being in that studio. So I can produce a show for you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be an employee. You don't have to think about health benefits salary like no 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 you'll just be on retainer you'll get this number of episodes a week or a month Mm -hmm. and then we can split the commercial revenue that comes in I don't know how I cracked that but I do remember I've never enjoyed Rick D's but his show plays on a local station here in Kenya and whenever I'd listen and I'd even go to his website when he says oh go check this out on his website blah 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 Again, it's not my cup of tea because it's like pop culture and whatever things Mm -hmm. I don't really care about. But I'll be like, I wonder what this guy is doing. Like it's on his own terms. He's just recording. I don't know where he is even. And then now us in Kenya, we're hearing him. I was fascinated. Like, how? What? Okay, that's interesting. I didn't have the terms for it. I didn't know syndication or whatever, but I was like, that's interesting. I would like that. Mm -hmm. So when I pitched it, I didn't have a show. And so my CEO said, Sawa, I'm game. We can do that. Mm -hmm. But you have to stay on my breakfast show. I was like, no, this is crazy. Uh And so I ended up staying on for two more days. So we did have two contracts. I had my employment contract Mm -hmm. and then I had a content agreement contract that was a syndication deal. And I got that without even having one show. I didn't have a name. I didn't, I had sold air. You know, yeah, but you also have proven experience in a relationship with this person. Exactly. So for new potters or those yeah. who've done it. No, but that's what I'm saying. I, it was a very shaky pitch. I think it occurred to me in the moment and then yeah. I just blurted it out. And then yeah. next thing I know, we'd sealed that deal. But it didn't work out because he didn't honor things in the employment contract. And ultimately, I didn't want to stay. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, the second pitch, they went silent on me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I could totally relate. Yeah. It's one of those things, right? Like with the Create Your Life series, I crowdfunded it also. You know what I mean? In order to, to hey. show a reality. But yeah. also I spent in 2016 when I was first starting the show, Create Your Life series actually started off as a video series in 2013. But it turned into a radio show in 2016. At that point, I set it up like a business and I said, this will be syndicated on SiriusXM, which is the biggest nationally syndicated radio station in the country of the United States. Brilliant. And so I pitched for two years. I waited for a year until I had enough episodes in order to have a catalog. Mm-hmm. Then I pitched mm-hmm. for like a year straight. Mm-hmm. But the four different stations multiple times kept doing it. I even caught a bus down to DC in order to go sit in the studio. And I was up at the office in New York. Like I was really like on the grind. So I definitely understand yeah. what, it is, what you're saying. But I think what our listeners really need to hear is, is that you had a proven track record yeah. of being this person who would deliver on what it is that she says she would do. Yeah. It's great, you know, as far as media personality and things like that, which got you your yes. And for me, it was a matter of having a catalog and being able to prove that I could do this and that I did do it. And this is what the show sounds like. Exactly. Looking back, why my Trace pitch was like one mm-hmm. meeting got approved. And the next meeting was like talking logistics, training the team who'd Mm -hmm. be selling the podcast. This is what the show is about. When Mm -hmm. you go out, this is how to sell it, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And I think why it worked is because of the other two pitches. And I had like praxis. And then now I had what you're saying, a catalog. I think at that time I had like over 50 episodes. And so that's a pain point for Trace right now in that I'm still the only podcast on it. Mm -hmm. And their pain point is 
they are traditional radio. So you have to understand how to cut up your podcast that yeah. works for that radio. And you have to have enough content to deliver three to five episodes a week. Oh, wow. Your producer yeah. is busy, busy. I actually do all that production myself, which is why I do like the night shifts and the weird hours. Yeah. But it's a great pillar for distribution in our market because radio is still quite king. It's a great pillar for revenue because they can help us get traditional thinking advertisers to see the value in podcasting mm. because now they'll be experiencing it on a platform they're comfortable with and they think it's safe. So then you can then convert them to the online episodes. So for revenue and for distribution, it's great. I just feel like not many podcasters understand the work that comes with being syndicated mm -hmm. and what you would need to understand in terms of how radio operates. These people don't come to you. Trace didn't come to me. My CEO, I think we were talking because I had resigned. Right, 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 right. <laughs> the second ones who went silent on me, I went to them. Yeah. So you actually have to have that aggression to be like, I need to get into that room. How do I get into that room? Who's the right person? And when you get in, don't be like me and sell air. Actually have a thing that you're selling. It's yeah. tough to argue with a catalog for sure. Yeah. What does your peer group look like? I'm curious. My social circle? Yes, your social circle and also like your professional circle because mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things is when you're making moves like you are, you're a person who, you know, is on the mission. It's very important to keep the right people around you. Right? Yeah. You talked about protecting your mental space. Yeah. Constructive criticism and things like that. So I always like to ask, you know, like, who are the people around you? Who's pouring into Adele? Who is Adele pouring into? Such a timely question because I was just telling a friend that the women who are surrounding me, mm -hmm. I would never have dreamed would be the ones who are like, come, let's do dinner. Let's talk about this idea that you have or let me introduce you to someone. So I mentioned Gina Din. She used to be friends with my mom and I joke that I now stole her. So she's my friend now. She has a book out called Daughter of Africa. And she was invited by the British High Commissioner here to have like a celebration to launch her book. And Gina has been doing this for years and she's much older. And she insisted that myself and another friend of mine, Janet Bogwa, we both have books, mm -hmm. come and be part of that with her. Awesome. So we were meeting other very highly influential people, people who are in organizations that can help us champion to end sexual violence, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so someone like that is in my peer group. And so I'll go and meet up with her. We'll have lunch. I'll throw an idea her way. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And she'll also be like an accountability partner. If I say I want to do something, August, blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't hear from me. And she'll call and be like, you said you would do it. What happened? I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I have to do it. So Gina is in there. Caroline Mutoku, who I mentioned earlier, who is a pioneer in terms of African women on traditional radio locally. The other day, we had like a two-hour call. Mm -hmm. about stepping into your purpose and like going for the life that you know you deserve. Exactly. So that was so powerful. And then there's Janet Mbugwa, who's also quite an influential African woman, a Kenyan woman as My well. first time stories. Exactly, on AfriPods. And we were just talking earlier. Those are people who are in my peer circle. My social circles, I was just earlier today, I was at an event that AfriPods was also part of. I was talking about how when I was 30, I laughed and I was like, I only have five friends. And I was complaining to my friend who's 40. I'm like, what does this mean? I know I'm weird, but like everybody else has tons of friends. And I just have like five, two of my sisters. So they don't really have a choice. So I don't know what's happening here. And then he told me, 
give it some time. That number is going to go down. I was like, how much farther from five can it go? And currently I have like three people. <laughs> hey, it's in the quality, not the quantity. That is the thing. And I've actually learned to be very comfortable with that. So I have friends who feed me, who know when to check up on me, mm-hmm. who hold me accountable as well, who can call me out and say, you're always complaining about this, but you're not doing anything about it. Like mm-hmm. we're tired of hearing this, make an action or keep quiet. You know what I mean? And you know, it's coming from love. Mm-hmm. So I keep my social circle really small mm-hmm. and they take weird me as I am, which is great. It's <laughs> the best way. So with podcasting growing at such a quick pace, what do you feel the future of podcasting looks like in Kenya and in Africa as a whole? Oh my goodness. So excited when I think about that, because I feel like on a continental level, we've always had our power stripped from us. We're really just coming into our power in different industries. And why media is so important, like podcasting, Mm -hmm. is we get to tell our own stories, talk about our own topics that affect us from our lens without waiting for somebody with a skewed lens or an ignorant lens to Mm -hmm. do that for us. Africa didn't have borders. All these things of passports and whatever are relatively new if you think historically. And so we need to get back to understanding each other, our similarities. When I was in Zimbabwe, hearing one of the local languages and being like, wait, we also say this, we also say that, you know what I mean? Or names that are similar. And we're learning about each other and podcasts and digital media is really so important in that. And I think it's also important in documenting our history that was broken by colonization. One of the things I'm trying to crack is capsule collection series of stories by my grandmother. You know what I mean? Stories in Luo or in Kiswahili. And Mm -hmm. how do we preserve our history in podcasts? It's funny that you say that because one of my personal opinions is that podcasting can be used as a vehicle to preserve African stories, language and culture. For my introduction to the Create Your Life series, you hear a bunch of people saying Create Your Life in many different languages. Mm. And so for this particular series that we're doing, it's all African language. Mm. But when I'm asking certain friends from different countries to say Create Your Life in their local language, they speak the Western tongue, whether it be French or whether it be Mm -hmm. English, so well that they have to ask their parents what to say, how to say Mm -hmm. it correctly or how to say it alternatively. Exactly. Because sometimes there's not a direct translation. Yeah. But for a language that has a particular, let's say, a click or some type of aspect to it, they might have to reach out to their parents. And so we need to preserve this so that future generations can have authentic African experiences, you know what I mean, by being able to like really refer to that culture. So I think podcasts are so well placed to do that. We have a youth bulge. We have the highest population of young people on the continent, right? For sure. They can earn from podcasts and they can be able to determine what's going to be said by who, when, how, on their own terms, something that traditional media stripped us of and is biased because in most African countries, there's like a politician or a businessman behind it that has some ulterior motives, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like as we step back into our power, podcasts are integral in us learning and reconnecting with each other, in us preserving our culture and our history and teaching ourselves about that history that was fragmented and broken intentionally. And then earning, just having that financial freedom from podcasts. So to all my friends who are still in traditional media and stuff, and I keep asking them like, how are you not seeing the storm coming? It's like this viral video of the guy who's filming an avalanche and he's just there and it's coming 
and it's coming. And then when it gets closer, he's like, oh dear, oh dear. And he starts running. And I feel like that's the same thing happening with mm. traditional media where I'm like, hey, hey, it's right. coming, it's coming, it's coming, this wave. And You're warning them. I'm very excited for it. I'm very excited for it. So last question for this aspect of our conversation. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? I would be a farmer. Potatoes. I love potatoes. They're so good. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started on potatoes, but I would be a farmer. Potatoes or strawberries? You love strawberries as well? Mm -hmm. I'm going to actualize that. I think you can have many lives in this one life that we have. That's definitely what I'd be having. Gumboots, everything in the trenches. It's also not glamorous. So, hey, that's where I'd be. (laughs) Love to hear it. So this next aspect of the interview is rapid fire questions. You are about to enter the dolphin tank. Oh, my goodness. Am I ready for it? That is the question. (laughs) Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) I think you'll be all right. I think you'll be all right. Don't be too scared. But I will be honest. You have to answer. This is like 30 seconds or less. Like, boom. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yes. Or 60 seconds or less. All right. What are your goal setting methods? How do you measure or make sure that you are growing each year? In December, I do have a document that I have written out Uh that has personal growth goals and it has growth in terms of my interpersonal relationships with the people I care about Mm -hmm. because I'm very big on like loving deeply. And then the other one is for my career and then these business goals. So every three months I go back and I'm like, am I on track? Have I failed here? What's going on? And everybody around me laughs about me loving Excel sheets, but I think they're a very great way to track your goals. And when you write down something, I don't know, it's almost like set in stone and it always happens. Most challenging moment and how did you overcome it? Oh my goodness. Most challenging has got to be dealing with the death of my mom. I don't think it's something you overcome. Someone said you grow around your grief. I don't know if Mm. that's possible, but I think I'm still trying to figure it out. I haven't overcome it. What was holding you back from creating your best life? Fear. Paralyzing fear. Okay. (laughs) Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. Oh, I have to shout out Audacity for the audio stuff. I really do have to. This might not be tech, but it is a small company that helps freelancers or those in the creative economy not get in trouble with a tax man. (laughs) And they're called Ushuru. They have saved me and my business so many times. So I always think about them because when it comes to taxes, I want a clean bill of health. But some of the things are very complex to understand. Can you spell out or give the website for people who might need these services? Yeah. And what are they exactly? A tax accounting Yes. And they cost it Mm -hmm. for solopreneurs or small businesses and freelancers. Okay, And so they're called Ushuru, which means taxes in Kenya. And it's U-S-H-U-R-U dot C-O dot K-E. Amazing team. They have gotten rid of that stress for me. Love it. Favorite quote or model that you live by? Ooh, oh my God, this changes so tight. So I'm not a quote person. I'm a word person, okay. which is why I have like various words tattooed on my body. Mm-hmm. And the one that I'm loving right now is expand. So it used to be freedom. Now it's expand because I'm trying to live a full life, which means I need to go through experiences that expand me. Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? Am I allowed to curse? Yeah. Okay, because it was a book called How Not to Give an F. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah, I don't know if it's that one, but I know my aunt gave it to me after my first major heartbreak and I really loved it. 
I still have it in my office and there's times that I go back to it. So I really love that book. And the other book that I really love, it's just an enjoyable book. It doesn't have any life lessons or anything. It's an African book. It's called Baba Segi and the Secret Lives of His Eight Wives or something like that, or the Secret Lives of His Wives. Baba Segi and the Secret Lives of His Wives, something to that effect. I've read that book three times. And laughed at different parts. It's quite interesting. Okay. Well, I think I might want to check that one out too. Yeah. Three jewels for someone looking to create their best life. Something my therapist always says, you do not have to explain yourself to anybody. She says that in almost every session that we have. So that's one. Number two is get rid of all the noise in your life because to live your best life, you've got to hear yourself tell you what that kind of looks like. And then the third thing Nobody knows what they're doing. Extend grace to yourself. I think sometimes we're still hard on ourselves. Like you didn't get that right. You messed up in that meeting and we sit in our failures for so long or what we perceive to be failures. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what they're doing. So just be, you're healing from so much. You're dealing with life and life is a lot. So if you can be graceful and soft with yourself Mm -hmm. and almost speak, my friend told me, speak to yourself as you would a lover. So she calls herself sweetheart and stuff when she's talking to yourself, which is very normal, guys. Just extend grace and softness and love to yourself. Okay. Last song you listen to on your playlist. So I'm listening to Burna Boy's new album. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And so the song he did with J Balvin, it's called Roller Coaster. I really like that one. What's next for Adele? I'm in such a brilliant space. I like to say I've finally come home to myself. So I told my aunt the other day, I'm probably going to unleash the most powerful woman from within me than I've ever done in my entire life. So it's just more power, more authenticity and less fear and Mm. less fear. I think I'm very comfortable with who I am and it's taken me a long time to get here. I'm looking forward to the 4.0 of you. You got the 2.0, you got the 3.0 to the 4.0. What's the best way for us to keep in contact with you? Okay, so you can go to adelonyango.com. There's a contact tab. Can you spell it for us? A-D-E-L-L-E-O-N-Y-A-N-G-O.com. And that's also my platform on Instagram. And on Twitter, I'm at A-D-E-L-L-E-O, Adelo. Love it. Congratulations. You have survived the dolphin tank. Where's my prize? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get you one. So Adele, we've reached a part of the interview that is called the turnaround. Yes. And the turnaround means that you get to ask me any three questions that you want. And I absolutely have to answer. Create Your Life family. You know that this is unscripted. I have not talked to her about these questions. So I just have one request. Yes. Please be gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Okay, no. So we started with something light, which is always interesting. I want to know your most recent embarrassing moment. So don't take us to your childhood. You would be the person to stump me. Because <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out when was I embarrassed. I can't think of anything in this moment because, you know, even when you're embarrassed, I've been listening to this Kobe Bryant montage of interviews of him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he's been saying, and I had to learn this earlier, but because I'm listening to it every day, it yeah. keeps reinstating is you're not that important. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I'm thinking of that, because he talks about, you know, when he had airballed in the playoffs and Mm -hmm. a lot of people were at him and stuff like that. And he was like, the story goes on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being embarrassed, essentially, it's an ego thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you thinking that you matter that Mm -hmm. much. In reality, other people have other things to do. Yeah. So 
it's a moment. Yeah, it's a moment. I would have to think about that, but that's yeah. a really good question. Because I'm very clumsy, so I like falling and whatever. I have like a long list, but anyway. I think walking into my apartment building, like going through the gate, I think I stumbled the other day. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily embarrassed as much as I was like, watch yourself. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to end up on the ground. Like I caught myself, but I didn't want to end up on the ground. So I think that when I do make a mistake or something like that, then I try to quickly understand how it happened and mm. then try to course correct from there. Mm. What's an experience mm -hmm. that taught you the most about yourself? I would look at that as more like a defining moment. There were and have been several, but I think one of the probably the most important things that happened for me was is I grew up in foster care in California and my older sister was with me the entire time. That's essentially my mom. Mm -hmm. But when I was 10, she moved back to our biological family and I had to stay. And so I spent the next eight years alone mm -hmm. in foster care in different homes, mm -hmm. dealing with different people and things like that. And so I think that montage of experiences taught me a lot about resilience and being proactive in terms of going to go seek out opportunities and figuring out and being okay with having a different experience and stuff like that. And so I think that with that, I'm probably learned the most about myself then because I still take that attitude of always being a student, always understanding that sometimes people will be there for you. A lot of times you're going to have to keep going by yourself. It doesn't mean that you always have to, but if I end up solo somewhere, 99% of the time when you see me, I'm going to be solo. Mm -hmm. But if I end up somewhere by myself, I'm okay mm -hmm. because I understand, Kevin, I understand the things that matter and how to navigate the world. So I would say that that probably taught me the most about myself. That's super insightful. Okay, I'm trying to see, like, should I make it fun or should I make it deep? Because I okay, want... I'll give you four. And you give me four? Okay, you great. Four, so you can ask both. <sighs> okay, so if you woke up tomorrow mm -hmm. and you found... Please don't be doomsday. No, not doomsday. Okay. <laughs> you woke up as a woman tomorrow. I'm not strong enough. What's the first thing you would do? I'm not strong enough to be a woman. <laughs> would you like go back to bed? Like, no. I'm not strong enough. Yeah. I was talking to my colleague today, Angie, and I was like, man, this is the first time I've worn a heel in a long time. Mm. I'm wearing boots right now. Mm. And I was like, my ankles feel different. <laughs> yes. I'm like, y'all are wearing stilettos? What? Tonight, your knees also. Women do so many things better than men. I can't even <laughs> get into it because I won't even know. I'm not strong enough. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I don't even know. It never even crossed my mind. It would probably be a, I'm going back to sleep. I hope it's not Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah we got to reset. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you know, I'm not built for this one. Okay. And the last one is about Nairobi. Kenya and your experience in Kenya, mm -hmm. what has been either your most memorable day or your best day or experience while you've been here? There's so many. Good to know. I came here in 2019. I was going to do a week here and a week in Mombasa. Mm -hmm. And then I was going to go on to another country. Yeah. I stayed for five weeks. Wow. <laughs> so like I met amazing people. I feel embraced and honored to have you here. Like, this is a great day in my Kenyan experience. Meeting Doris and Dan yeah. is a great experience. People are just receptive. And I think that that is the best part mm -hmm. of being here, right? Is that I'm not getting shunned. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And not that people are supposed to shun you or anything like that, but it's just always a good feeling to be embraced mm -hmm. and to be able to sometimes sit back and people are okay with you being quiet because right? yeah. I'm observing and I'm trying to pick up Kiswahili mm -hmm. and everybody's talking around me and I don't know what's happening. Yeah, The whole experience has been a good experience experience. There's some pros and cons, of course, but overall, being here is one of the best decisions that I've made in my life. And the level of comfort that I have here, like I know the U.S., 
I'm from the U.S. I was born and raised there, an African in America. And so essentially I'm a 15th generation African in America, mm. right? But the level of calmness and the anxiety that I don't have to walk around with mm. because of the color of my skin just makes this a great experience. And I get to work in tech. I get to have conversations with amazing people mm. all the time. Most of them not recorded. You know what mm. I mean? So it's just, I heart Kenya. Yeah. Heart oh Kenya. my goodness. Yeah. And you don't feel added. I remember my first time, I've only been to the States twice. Mm-hmm. And the first place was New York. It was a conference and they booked me in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And when I was going, I was so happy because my previous trip was to Manchester and I just felt so othered there, yeah. like so aware of my blackness, yeah. which I don't get here. And I was like, yeah, I'm going somewhere that there's like tons of black people. The food will be great. But I was booked in like a really white space. <laughs> space. Yeah. And I then was like, ah, I started understanding the more I'm trying to understand post-colonial Africa. Mm-hmm. I started understanding it from a lens of people who not went, who were, who were taken. taken away. Right. So what's home? You know what I mean? That part. That's another conversation. That's another conversation. So I hear you when you say you do feel a connection. Yeah. 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 So I think Nina Fender, Kenya. Swahili class is working. What? <laughs> 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 yes. Uh-huh. You got it. You got it right. Wow. Adele, thank you for such an amazing conversation. Oh, this was so great. Thank you for having me. It was quite insightful and just chill as well. You're really good at what you do, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being a guest. Anytime. My pleasure. Okay. So create your life. That was Miss Adele Anyango. And you know, I have to tell you, Create Your Life family. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to info at CYLseries.com. The Create Your Life series is executive produced by Kevin Y. Brown and produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company. And this episode has been recorded in Simabox Studios here in Nairobi, Kenya. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. Create your life. Create your life. Africa X. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.